and a very warm welcome to this first Master Investor podcast of 2023, when we'll be discussing the themes that have emerged and those that have yet to make an appearance. My name is Sarah Lowther, and I'm delighted to be joined again by Jonathan Davis, author, investor, podcaster, editor of the Investment Trust's Handbook. Now, Jonathan, last time we spoke, it was very cold outside and we looked like a pair of Inuits dressed in our Arctic coats because it was brutal. It's still a bit chilly now, but I'm just wondering, have the equity markets thawed a little, do you reckon, one month into this year? Uh, they definitely have thought so far this year. Yes, they've been uh, quite positive. We've seen uh, some quite significant uh, positive moves. And uh, if you believe in the old market saying that, you know, as goes January, so goes the year, then we should be in for a storming year this year. But um, uh, I have to say my personal view is that the jury is still very much out on that. Though there are some encouraging signs. If you follow uh, technical indicators in the markets, uh, which I do, uh, they always help me just to keep a sort of handle on where we are. Um, a lot of uh, equity market indices uh, have either uh, approached or broken through their 200-day moving averages, which is a kind of common thing that many traders look at. Uh, so, and that's uh, quite a potentially a positive sign. So, uh, yeah, things have definitely uh, improved a little bit so far this year. Um, but then, of course, uh, last year was pretty, uh, pretty horrible. So uh, we're still a long way from making back what was lost uh, over the course of 2022. So one of the dominant themes of last year, which was a very unusual year, another unusual year was inflation. Now, from my standpoint, as a market trader, as in um, I sell cheese, I don't invest. But from my standpoint, selling cheese on the high street, I'm getting a sense from a consumer point of view that inflationary pressures are easing and it isn't going to be such a dominant theme this year. Yes, well, uh, that's certainly true. I mean, everybody expects inflation to come down. We've we've seen the peak of inflation, I think, almost certainly. Everybody seems to agree about that. Even the central banks who've been, you know, trying to make us uh, very scared about that. Uh, the the real question though is how far and how fast inflation does come down, uh, and that is, I think, a more nuanced argument uh, because it does a lot depends on what you think is going to happen to interest rates uh, and the economy. Um, and uh, you know, one sign is bond yields have been falling, uh, or trending down a little bit certainly from their peaks back in the autumn um, but that could be for two reasons that could be either because uh, the market is anticipating that inflation is going to come down quite sharply uh, or that they're just anticipating we're heading straight for a recession uh, and that is normally very bad for inflation we might even get some deflation so the argument is really all revolving around that which is the greater threat now uh, no doubt inflation is coming down the question is will it uh, come all the way back down to target the central bank's target of two percent uh, or will it uh, stay at a somewhat higher level? And that, I think, will depend on whether we get a really bad recession or not. So you talk about the central banks there. I understand that our Bank of England governor, Mr Bailey, is having to eat humble pie because he was a bit too doom-mongery where his recessionary projections were concerned. And I understand that he's going to scale back um, his recession projections because um, it's not going to be as bad as originally anticipated. Yeah, that's certainly true. I think the Bank of England this week will come out and reduce their, uh, their, you know, their uh, uh, assessment of how long the recession is likely to be. It's still going to be pretty long, according to them, uh, but it may not be quite as deep either. 
But of course, uh, central bankers are really in the business of expectations management as well as anything else. Uh, and so I think part of the idea behind the very gloomy statements that came out from Andrew Bailey and, and from other central bankers was to try and convince people that uh, inflation was a serious problem and it was, would require some very harsh medicine. And therefore that they hope would, would help to moderate wage increases and so on, uh, which is what their real concern is. I think now the Federal Reserve and the Bank of England, they're worried that rising wages uh, will, uh, because of un you know, unemployment is still to, still to rise, uh, they fear that that will actually embed inflation into the system, uh, even if we do uh, see it come down, uh, that because people want continued labour, will continue to ask for more money, uh, that will beat inflation. Uh, we could have an inflationary problem coming that way. So they've been in the business of inflation expectation management. Uh, and as far as the financial markets are concerned, they seem to have uh, uh, been quite effective at that. Market you know, implied interest rates uh, two years out do suggest they'll get back to their inflationary target. Whether they've had the same impact on uh, labour markets and people who are asking for pay rises, uh, that we, remains to be seen. So you talk about expectations management. I'm just thinking about the best way to manage our portfolios. There is so many podcasts devoted to active versus passive funds. So I'm just wondering which one you lean towards and which one would be worth a consideration in today's economic climate. Well, that's a very good question, a very interesting question, I think, because... Um, it sort of speaks directly to the kind of short-term, long-term uh, issue that most investors have. You know, every year you have to decide whether you're going to make some tactical moves because of the current uh, market conditions, or whether you're or whether you're going to, going to stick to your long-term plan. Um, now, over the last twenty years, it has been a remarkable period for passively managed funds. Well, the last thirty years, to be honest, but mainly the last twenty years. Uh, you know, the first index fund was only. Uh, you know, introduced uh, well for a couple of years in the 80s, but basically it's a phenomenon of the 21st century. And it has been extraordinary, the number of, uh, you know, the growth of the passive industry, whether that's uh, index funds or exchange-traded funds. Uh, and they've taken an ever-increasing uh, share of the uh, uh, equity fund market. Uh, and they're well up to at least 30%, maybe 35%, uh, maybe more. Um, and that's before you start to include what are called closet trackers, these, these are actively managed funds that effectively uh, don't deviate much from the, the market index. So that's been a real problem in the past. They've been charging actively managed fees for basically passive managed performance. Um, so the question, though, is whether that has come to an end. It has been an extraordinary phenomenon. Um, not only have passive funds continued to take market share from actively managed funds, um, but they've continued to outperform active managers over for a long period. Since the global financial crisis, uh, the last year... Uh, that the uh, majority of actively managed funds beat the S&P 500, for example, in the US, was back in 2009. So that's uh, that was you know 12 years in a row. Um, and then, but last year, for the first time, actively managed funds did outperform, uh, at least a, a, a narrow majority outperformed last year. Admittedly, they were still down a lot because the S&P 500 was down 20% or so, but they were only down 18%. But I mean, they have, it's a small triumph for passive managers, for active managers, a bigger one. Um, and the question is whether this is what we've seen with the big rise in interest rates, the change in uh, style uh, favoured by the markets from growth to value and so on, whether that will now introduce a period of 
when active managers can outperform again, which they did in the early part of the 21st century between 2000 and uh, 2007 in particular, they did outperform. So uh, in a number of years, not all every year. So yeah, it's a very interesting question. I think there's some good reason to think that actually this year might be one when actively managed funds do outperform the you know the majority of them. Um, but the long-term numbers are very much against them. It's uh, it's very, very hard to do that on a consistent basis. So obviously we don't want any fund managers to lose their jobs, but it's always good to shine a light on those organisations that do it very well. Are you in a position where you can name some names and direct people towards those entities? Well, that's okay. So that's an interesting one. I mean, uh, as you know, I write a lot about investment trusts and all investment trusts are actively managed. Uh, and that's one reason why there are fewer of them than there are open-ended funds, let alone uh, tracker funds. Um, they are because if they don't outperform, they tend to disappear, uh, unlike open-ended funds, which hang around, you know, like a bad smell for a long time, even when they don't uh, outperform. Um, so, well, who would I expect to do well this year? I mean, uh, again, I think the way to approach this is to think about um, what I call core and uh, satellite uh, elements of your portfolio. So if you want, you know, you, you want to have a core exposure to the US market, which is such a big part of the uh, global uh, equity market. Uh, and there in the US, uh, you know, an index fund is always a good option. There aren't many good actively managed funds that will do particularly well in the US market, never have been. Uh, so that would be one thing. But if you come back to the UK, I mean, if, if we are entering a period when actively managed funds do well, I, again, would emphasize the attractions of small cap, small cap fund managers because these are the parts of the market that aren't as well researched. You know, in the US, I think it's uh, less than 5% of uh, companies um, that are not followed by, you know, more than a couple of analysts. Whereas in the UK, in the small cap area, it's almost half. Half the market is not followed by any uh, professional uh, analysts. So it's a much, there's a much, it's a much better hunting ground in theory for active managers. And certainly in the, um, Investment trust sector, for example, I would pick out uh, names such as uh, we're looking at Henderson smaller companies. So that's a Janice Henderson, their manager. Uh, another fund there is uh, Henderson Opportunities Trust, managed by James Henderson, who's been doing that job for about three decades and has a good long-term track record. They've all been suffered in the last uh, in the last year, of course, as the market went down. I'd mention also a Distian Investment Trust, which is a, a small uh, self-managed trust. Um, uh, a very interesting one. Sorry, Jonathan, uh, and, Jonathan you just broke up there. I, I didn't hear what you said, that that last company name. Okay, I'd also mention the Odyssean Investment Trust, uh, which is a, a favourite of mine, uh, and actually made a positive gain last year against the trend. Uh, and BlackRock Smaller Companies, another one which has got a long-term record. They always had to watch out for when managers change. Uh, and the final one that I think has got a good record is uh, Aberdeen, uh, UK Smaller Companies Growth Trust. Uh, but there, the manager, Harry Nimmo, has just retired, the long-serving manager, Harry Nimmo, and he's been replaced by his colleague who's worked with him for a long time. Um, I'm sure she'll do a great job. i just like to see her performance for a couple of years before I get too excited about that one. But in the small cap space, those are all good companies. Montanaro has a couple of good trusts as well. So um, I'd be looking in that sort of direction. That would be my kind of top tip for the, uh, for the if we are going to see uh, an actively managed uh, uh, revival, shall we say. Okay, and no disrespect to you, Jonathan, but I'm actually looking to go 
away um particularly as we're going to be getting this sort of this donut bomb of cold and snow coming our way in february so last night i was watching television and it was the world's most secret hotels and i was thinking well they were secret until this program so now they're going to be the world's most popular hotels but at the same time you know flyby um has imploded again so i'm just thinking should i just stay at home um holiday destinations is this the time of year when we would get good deals or should be thinking about escaping yes i think we should be thinking about escaping i think uh, well i've certainly am anyway um i mean uh, i actually quite like the winter in uh, in the uk but this one has been particularly cold and miserable uh recently at least uh and uh I think it is time to go venture abroad a bit further. I mean, it is true. I would pay a lot of money to avoid an airport. But that, I mean, airports are not great places at the best of times. Uh, and when you've got, uh, you know, we've got border staff on strike, and uh, we may have uh, other strikes in the uh, in in the in the aviation sector. Uh, uh, I'm not wild about going to an airport, but I am very wild about getting. I'm very keen on getting on uh, Eurostar and or going under the tunnel, Channel Tunnel. Uh, you get good prices on those. I mean, Eurostar is only operating at uh, two thirds capacity, I think, um, because of uh, various issues. Uh, and Europe, there's a lot of Europe to go and see, um, I think. And some, you know, it all a lot depends on what happens to the pound this year. Um, I think the pound is, um, uh, well, we've got a slightly more sensible government now, and uh, things seem to be uh, not quite as bad as they were. Uh, so maybe the pound will do a little bit better this year. I'm not predicting that. Uh, but it certainly may do better against the dollar. So if you are going to get on a plane, I think this is the year to think about going, maybe thinking about going to uh, the back to the US. I mean, I have struck it off my list for the last five years because the dollar's been so strong. Uh, but I think uh, I'm thinking about it this year. Uh, and that does mean getting on a plane, of course. But, uh, you know, that's uh, maybe for that exceptional trip, I might do that. There is, of course, um, the option of a cruise, but it would take take you away from me for far too long. And of course, March the 18th, big plug here, Saturday, um, you and I are needed at the Master Investor Show at the um, in Islington. So wherever you're going, make sure that you're around on March the 18th. You hadn't forgotten, I hope. I have definitely not forgotten that. No, absolutely not. I shall be there and... Uh... Looking forward to it very much. I had a very good time last year. I really enjoyed it last year and met lots of people, including some of the many of the subscribers to my podcast. Always nice to put a face to a name or at least a, an email address. Uh, and that was a lot of fun. And yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see uh, because by March the 18th, we'll see whether this current rally in the stock markets, for example, has uh, uh, has continued. We'll know if uh, you know the central banks have started to you know, slow their pace of interest rate increases or maybe even... Uh, talking about stopping them uh, that would be interesting to see uh, and of course uh, we'll listen to um, Jim Mellon every year it's always interesting to hear what he's got to say he, he did a pretty good uh, call last year uh, if you remember what he was talking about uh, where you should put your money last year uh, that worked out pretty well over the course of the year but he's been more optimistic recently um, yeah so uh, I'm afraid March we're going to be here um, but after that well, who knows? Where are you going to go, Sarah? Where? I mean, you say you don't want to go anywhere, but where Where would you go if you could? Or you would? Well, so I, I normally go to the Isle of Mull. That's where I spent my childhood holidays. But then there was this this child children's programme called Balamori, which in, introduced what was a very quiet 
island in Scotland to the masses and now it's very touristy so I would kind of like to go to the non-touristy part of of there otherwise I just like going up to um Findhorn in it near Inverness because my brother and my nephews and his partner live up there and that's when is, nice the thing that's always put me off about the west coast is the you know is the horrible threat of midges uh which uh, i only read about but no i have been to the west i went to stornoway once but i haven't uh, been to the west of scotland very much but the midges are when are the midges out in force that's sort of in the early summer is it um uh, i think for the entire 12 months but don't worry because i'll make you some um aromatherapy citronella um juice that you can slather all over yourself so you won't be bitten by them that's a promise jonathan and with that <laughs> promise midges or masses i mean what a what a thought anyway but yeah okay um so i'll see I may not you. be ready for that you know i may not be ready for slathering as you say but um <laughs> with, with that we will end this month's podcast so that's that's january's podcast i look forward to what we have to discuss next month jonathan thank you a pleasure as always This podcast was brought to you by Master Investor. For more investment and economics analysis, please visit masterinvestor.co.uk.